This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. Welcome to our special four-part mini-series, Ambition Diaries. At the beginning of the year, Fast Company, with support from the Economic Hardship Reporting Project, set out to find mothers and daughters across the country to hear about the issues that we report on regularly. Unpaid labor, discrimination, pay gap, career advancement, work-life balance, how the pandemic has changed our relationship to work, and more. Seven reporters recorded conversations between mothers and daughters living in the South, Midwest, Northeast, and Pacific Northwest. They are Black, Latinx, White, Guatemalan, Malaysian, Jewish, LGBTQ. They work in education, healthcare, tech, HR, the arts, retail, sales, and more. They are single, married, partnered, and divorced. They are working class, middle class, upper middle class, and in some cases have moved between each. When we set out on this project, the news of the pandemic's impact on women's workforce participation was ringing throughout the business world. According to the National Women's Law Center, more than 5.4 million women left or lost their jobs in the first year of the pandemic, setting women's progress in the labor force back by a generation. Then, in June, as many of these conversations were being recorded, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said that banning abortion would, quote, have very damaging effects on the economy and would set women back decades, end quote. Women's workforce participation pre-Roe in the early 1970s was 20% lower than it is now. Amid this climate, it's easy to feel discouraged. It can seem as if we're moving backwards, and in some significant ways, we are. But what the statistics we read and report on every day don't reveal is the way that these issues play out in individual lives across families. That's what we aim to capture in the stories in Ambition Diaries. Over the next four weeks, you'll hear from all 14 women in intimate conversations about tough family and personal decisions, discrimination, and dreams delayed, discarded, and discovered. This is The New Way We Work from Fast Company Magazine. I'm Kate Davis, and you're listening to Ambition Diaries. On this first episode, Economic Mobility and the Broken Promise of the American Dream. I grew up in what many refer to euphemistically as the working class. My mom was a single mother who didn't receive child support and worked low-wage jobs to put herself through nursing school. My brother and I were well-loved and cared for, but we were also acutely aware of our economic situation from a very young age. And those early experiences with the edges of poverty have had a lasting legacy on my relationship with money as an adult and subsequently on many of my decisions around career. For example, I redirected my college ambitions away from more expensive and prestigious universities in favor of an affordable state college that I could pay for with a combination of jobs and scholarships. Every decision in my life has come with a financial asterisk. There was no safety net. Unpaid internships and alumni networks were not part of my reality. The economic landscape of my childhood informed a lot more than just my career choices. Much of my planning about when to have kids and where to live has been to make sure that I can provide my children with opportunities that were out of grasp for my mom. I'm now in my early 40s with two young children, and in some ways, I'm in a very different place than my mom was at the same age. But how much of that is due to my own ambition, and how much is a product of the circumstances that I started in? 
For this first episode, we're focusing on the notion of the American dream, the belief that upward mobility is possible for everyone. We're sold on this notion from birth, and ambition is often at the core of it. Through determination and hard work, we are told we can achieve what we want. But we all know that that is often not the case, especially for women. Disparities in pay are a key part. Women still make, on average, only 82 cents for every dollar men make. And as we've covered before, the gap widens when race is taken into account. Black women, for example, are only paid 63 cents to every dollar a white man makes. But it goes well beyond the pay gap. The economic circumstances you are born into determine if and where you go to college, the amount of debt you are saddled with, what professions you pursue, what professional networks you have access to, and ultimately, how much and even if you are able to save for retirement. One of the prevailing truisms of parenthood is the notion of working to make things better for your children. But that means vastly different things depending on the circumstances of your own upbringing. So I was interested to hear from some of the mothers and daughters about how their economic circumstances informed their career and family choices and their opportunities. Demita and her daughter Francesca live in Miami. They both left corporate careers to pursue purpose-driven work. For Demita, this came after 30 years of working in HR. Demita grew up in economic uncertainty, which left a lasting impression and impacted the way that she raised her own children. Growing up, I thought that you were doing what you were supposed to do. Really? (laughs) Yeah, it just seemed normal to me. Like my mom goes to work and she makes money and she takes care of the house and she makes us food. But like as an older child, I became more aware of like the sacrifice. And I also became aware of like you not having really any help. I remember making a concerted effort for my children not to have an awareness of real life, actually. Um, I just, for myself, I remember I was like eight years old and it was my first awareness of struggle because that year Nana had taken me to a thrift shop to get my winter coat. Cause you know, like when you're a kid, every year you get a brand new coat and Nana had taken me to a thrift shop down in Philadelphia. And I remember the, the zipper came to here and the strings only came to here, which meant that there was a gap that essentially exposed my whole neck. And I just remember being cold. I was so cold that winter. And I never, ever, ever wanted you guys to have that experience, I guess to a fault. (laughs) I spoiled you guys. And so whatever it was that I felt like you needed or um, that you wanted, I wanted to make sure that you had it and you didn't have any awareness of real life, which is not smart, but that's what I did. And so, yeah, I guess, you know, at some point as you guys became more aware and you grew, you know, you just become more aware of your surroundings. And so you just kind of figure it out. Demita's ambition was to provide for her kids. Stability was the goal, which was modeled after some of the advice of her mother. But Demita almost took a different career path. When I was a kid, you know how different um, Nana and my dad were. Nana was very regimented and felt like you needed a really good job. And your grandfather was, you know, like a free spirit and he was a lighting designer. And so, you know, I was caught in between those two extremes because I wanted to grow up to be a dancer (laughs) at one point. Um, And I danced a lot. And 
you know, going to college. I had gotten a scholarship to go to a college under a dance program. And Nana just thought that that wasn't a real job because her experience had been with your grandfather. You know, when he had a gig, it was great. The money flowed through. But then sometimes there was big gaps between those gigs and she had to pull the weight. So when you're raised in that, it makes it difficult. And so that's kind of what are those two worlds is what I was stuck between. I think very similar to you. I just wanted to make money and I had a job through college and, but you know, not like a career, just a job to make money. And I remember in my junior year, everyone was talking about internships. For me, I'm like, what is this internship? Internship what? Like I go to school, I take the class and I go to work, come home, sleep on the weekends. I have fun with my friends. What else? What is the internship? (laughs) Why is that important? But I took a leave of absence and I decided, okay, I'm going to do what everyone else is doing. They say you need an internship. I'm going to go try to find an internship or a job because I don't have the luxury of working for free that can gain me a little bit more experience. I didn't know specifically what industry, but just something that's not this side job, something that could get me a career. And that at the time made me feel like I was doing the right thing. It was not my dream. Cause like I said, I truly didn't have necessarily any dreams, but it made, it did make me feel like I was doing what I should be doing. Growing up without money will almost always skew your relationship to ambition. But what happens when you grow up without those limitations? This was the case for Kylie, whose mother Janelle spent most of her professional life making a comfortable living at Microsoft. Kylie grew up viewing money very differently, but Janelle's upbringing had more challenges. What I remember feeling, you know, as a very young child, you know, even at the age of five, I can remember being in the first house that I grew up in, and um, there'd been some difficult circumstances, and I remember knowing that even though there was no real support structure to go to, that I was going to be okay and that I would be able to create something meaningful out of my life. Something that would be impactful, um, help people, something bigger than me. You know, it was really about trying to get through the challenges so that I could be useful. I knew right away that it felt like what I was supposed to be doing when I was being of service in some way. Well, and you've always said that too is like, I don't know. I just think you have a really healthy approach to money too because it's, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to spend X amount of time making X amount of money, but it's not, and so that money, it doesn't represent like a certain, It's I mean, not my status. No, not at all. It's it's just this is the amount of energy I spent. And so I'm going to choose to spend this much energy which will then result in X amount of money. So then we can use that, like energy points, <laughs> to spend doing cool, fun things. And uh, hey, it's in dollars. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It <laughs> happens to be in dollars. That's how the world works right now. So um, I think that, you know, any vacation we went on or anything where we were, like, even your house or anything like that, it's not, I don't see, like, dollar signs. I just see the amount of, like, hard work that you put into that and, like, the amount of energy that you put into that. And I... I think there's a difference there. We'll be right back after a short break. 
This episode of The New Way We Work is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. There are a lot of stories about millennials' so-called failure to launch. Millennials are, on average, waiting longer to get married and have kids than their parents' generation, or they're opting out completely. Birth rates first started to drop in 2008 during the Great Recession and have continued to fall in the years since. And during the start of the pandemic in 2020, they hit their sharpest decline in almost 50 years. And the marriage rate for millennials is only 26%, the lowest of any previous generation. Far fewer millennials are homeowners either, only around 48%, which is much lower than Gen X and baby boomers. But it isn't that millennials refuse to grow up. It's that the landscape for achieving those markers is much different than it was a generation ago. Many older millennials, like me, suffered career setbacks amid the layoffs of the Great Recession. And unlike boomers and Gen X, millennials and Gen Z are contending with crippling levels of student loan debt. About 15 million millennials carry an average student loan debt of about $33,000. All of those factors join together to put savings below what they should be. Many of the daughters we spoke to for Ambition Diaries are in their 30s, a point that many of their parents were able to own their own homes. But they find themselves at jobs that don't pay as much as they expected, struggling to pay off student loan debts, and contending with rising housing prices, mortgage rates, and the worst inflation in a generation. This is the case for Christina, a teacher from Lithonia, Georgia, who spoke with her mother, Vicki, who also lives in Lithonia, about how hard purchasing a home has been for her with student loan debt. It has been a lifelong dream of Christina's to buy a home for herself. In becoming a homeowner, it was just to create what I received in growing up. Our house may not have been big, but it was so full of love. It was fun. And even to hear my cousins always want to come over, our house was always flooded with people because the atmosphere was great. And it made me just, you know, I'm at that age where I want to continue to do that. And I've had a hiccup. In becoming a teacher, I had to take out some loans that impacted my process, especially a couple of years ago when I had the townhouse. And the week before closing day, it just fell apart. And I was crying, saying to myself, Maybe if I would have went to a cheaper school and you kept saying, no, 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 it'll be okay. And it it put a damper. I have to be honest. It put a damper on my dreams in becoming a homeowner because I will never forget my best friend told me, you're going to experience every emotion through this process. And I was like, oh, no. And I, I was like, I'm not ready for this. I'm not. I'm already going through the pandemic, teaching through the pandemic. But... My student loan debt is like always a focus in my mind. And I know you always tell me not to worry about it because you are where you are. You are doing what you love. And I know my student loan debt is like always a focus in my mind. And I know you always tell me not to worry about it because you are where you are. You are doing what you love. And I know... That's my sacrifice. I had to sacrifice my credit. (laughs) But all of the challenges that came our way, even through the pandemic, I have no regrets. But I just hate that my student loan debt is playing a role in me trying to purchase a home. 
Despite these setbacks, Christina is now on the verge of accomplishing her goal. She just had to go about it in a different way than she had initially planned. Christina is now set to buy a home that's been in her family for generations. Just thinking about that house just makes me so happy because that's where we would have Sunday dinner. After Sunday dinner, I remember playing volleyball or even watching y'all play volleyball and us just playing in the yard. That's what I remember. We always had fun. We celebrated everything. Oh, the kids got A's and B's. We about to have a party. Oh, such and such birthday. We about to have a party. Though we may have lost certain people, we still did a celebration. That's where just, if I feel like with everybody, grandmama, granddaddy, Uncle John, Aunt Nell, Uncle Ben, like a lot of the pillars of our family, especially for me growing up, like everybody walked on those grounds. It just means a lot. So that's why I'm excited to be there and live there and create more memories. It's easy to hear these stories of daughters struggling in ways that their mothers didn't and feel despair for the future. But looked at another way, there's glimmers of progress. Demita's struggles with poverty as a child helped her to raise Francesca with the encouragement to spread her wings a bit more. And now she's thinking more deeply about the way she approaches work and purpose, inspired by her mother's second act career, which we'll hear more about in the final episode of the series. For Christina, watching her mother's advocacy for kids through her unpaid work with the PTA inspired her to become a teacher, which has evolved into training other teachers, which we'll hear about in later episodes in the series as well. She may be saddled with student loan debt, but she was able to complete a degree that was out of her mother's grasp. And as we heard from Janelle and Kylie, once in a comfortable financial position in a well-paying job, money becomes a tool to give you the things you want from life instead of an albatross. On the next episode of Ambition Diaries, Still Not Equal, Stories of Discrimination at Work. And that's all for this episode. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to The New Way We Work wherever you listen. And if you like this episode, leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. For more Ambition Diaries, including individual photos, interviews, and audio clips from all seven mothers and daughters, visit fastcompany.com backslash ambition hyphen diaries. Ambition Diaries was produced by Joshua Christensen with editing by Nicholas Torres. Ambition Diary reporters are Laura Delch, Jordan Gaspor, Deborah John Lee, Jill Jordan Sider, Corinne Ruff, Lauren Vespoli, and Akila Wise. Special thanks to the Economic Hardship Reporting Project for their partnership on Ambition Diaries. <laughs>